the United States and the Soviet Union on a sheet of ice in Lake Placid, New York. Muller trying to turn. There's the left foot. What a tracking shot. Johnny Muller. If you see a 9-9, Olga Corbett's won a gold medal. There it is. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. You're listening to a podcast from Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, an online archive series showcasing the work of expert historians. I'm Vince Hunt and I'll be hosting the series, asking each guest to choose an important document or artefact they think is of great significance in the Cold War sports arena. Incidentally, if you like these shows, please share them with your friends and colleagues and rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps new listeners find us. In this podcast series, we're looking in detail at some of the sporting systems in operation in rival states. We'll look at the USA and the USSR as the lead nations of the Western and Eastern blocs. But one of the fascinating stories in both human and sporting terms is that of the GDR, or East Germany. That state not only controlled its people, but also its athletes. Well, I'm joined now by an expert on the East German regime, Mike Dennis, an emeritus professor of modern German history at the University of Wolverhampton in the UK. Mike, when East German leader Eric Honecker said sport is the means to an end, he meant it, didn't he? Uh, Without any doubt, and uh, Honecker at the time was the leader of the Free German Youth Movement, Uh, Later on, he became head of party in 1971 after the departure of uh, Walter Ulbricht. And throughout uh, GGR history, uh, sport was highly politicised. Sport was seen uh, as a form of soft power. It was pursued very effectively uh, by the East Germans uh, in a number of arenas, and one was that uh, of the Olympics. And... Much of the East German elite sports system was dedicated to success in the Olympic Games in the hope, expectation indeed, that this would produce rewards both at home and abroad in enhancing the reputation of GDR, in bolstering the legitimacy of the East German socialist state. Was there one particular sport that the East Germans singled out for success? Did they undertake a kind of survey of of, of where can we go that will yield success? Yes, without any doubt. And this is perhaps most obvious uh, at the end of the 1960s, when the East Germans were preparing for the Munich Games in 1972 and were desperate, in fact, to inflict a defeat on what was termed the class enemy, indeed the main class enemy, that is the Federal Republic of Germany. So before the Games, the East German sporting and political leadership looked at the resources that were necessary and the structures that were required to produce results at the Olympic Games. Now, this had gone on before, uh, but it was a tightening of, of the system and almost a brutal analysis of which sports were likely to produce the most medals and records at the Olympics and other major sporting uh, events. So in 1969, sport was divided into two spheres. One was called Sport 1 and the other Sport 2. Now those sports uh, in one included such as swimming, track and field uh, athletics, 
they were the ones which would produce the most medals, partly because they were not simply team games, but as in swimming, they ranged uh, across a series uh, of events. So it was decided in order to uh, reach the top or near the top uh, of the unofficial medals table, these were the ones, in fact, uh, to support rather than some individual team games. Now, an exception to that was football. Football was retained in the top sphere, partly because of its popularity uh, worldwide and certainly amongst the uh, East German population, partly because powerful individuals like the Minister of State Security, Erich Milke, uh, were also uh, devotees uh, of football. So football, because of its general popularity, uh, because of its prestige worldwide, found a place in sport one. Whereas other sports, like table tennis, which would not deliver uh, many medals, and were minor sports anyway, and did not have quite so much popularity, those sports were relegated into tier two, and tier two meant less finance, fewer coaches, less professionalisation. So it was a great disadvantage to be in the lower tier. This story of East German political endeavour in the sporting field yielded some incredible results, didn't it? Just looking at some figures, a population of 17 million in the GDR. And at the Seoul Olympics, they won 103 medals and took second place. It's absolutely phenomenal. But then you look deeper and you discover that it was all to do with doping. Well, no, not really. Um, (laughs) This is a highly contentious issue. Uh, Doping was certainly uh, one of the keys uh, to the success of GDR sportsmen and sportswomen, and one can certainly see that in swimming. So certain sports, for example, in 1976 at the Montreal uh, Games, the East German uh, women dominated the, the Games. But there were other factors too, Doping could produce performance-enhancing benefits in sports with an endurance uh, uh, base, but in other sports where there are more refined skills, and dare I say football, as you know, the skills of a George Best uh, are not easily reproduced, but doping does take place in football. Nevertheless, it also requires sophisticated training techniques. It also requires an understanding of biomechanics, It also requires detailed planning. It also requires where you are going to put your money, as I've already um, uh, uh, described. So doping alone uh, is not the key to East German success, but certainly in some sports it was vital. I think it's correct to say that all top East German athletes, or certainly the vast majority, did have some form of doping programme, that their coaches, the sports physicians, sports officials designed programmes related to specific targets that the drugs might have been amphetamines, there might have been various types of uh, steroids, there might be certain techniques in disguising uh, drugs using uh, diuretics, uh, uh, for example. So I would say 
as far as we know, most top East German athletes were, in inverted commas, uh, doped, and that includes, actually, many juniors. Certainly, East German athletes um, were not unique in being doped. Many others were, as, as in the Soviet Union, as in West Germany. And more information is being produced on the doping programs uh, in those countries. Again, the organisation and the structures uh, are different, but there are definitely different systematic forms of doping in various Cold War states. USA, West Germany, USSR, Czechoslovakia, East Germany, France. You also happen to be an expert, fortunately for us, uh, on the on the Stasi and the control of the of the athletes. I mean, it must have been very frustrating being an athlete in those times. Not not just frustrating, but of course it, it could be very distressing. The Stasi was an instrument of the party state, and as the doping program became ever more important from the 1970s onwards, the Stasi was called upon. Uh, to monitor uh, the state doping program. Now, that meant uh, for the Stasi that it monitored individuals, uh, individual uh, athletes uh, at all levels, in all sports, in all sports clubs. The archival materials uh, do reveal that, for example, the Stasi was very keen to observe the individuals in their private lives in case they were tempted to have close personal contacts uh, with West Germany, in inverted commas, to be contaminated and therefore be at risk of defecting. Now, defection meant for the East Germans uh, a potential loss of uh, know-how and, of course, of prestige uh, for, the, for the state. And one of those defections was of, uh, of a star player of uh, Dynamo Berlin, Lutz Eigendorf. Can you tell me a little about Eigendorf and, and the kind of public profile he had in East Germany? Yes, he, he was one of the uh, star players. He was a striker with a national reputation. And the fact that he was playing for Dynamo Berlin meant, of course, he was highly profiled and Dynamo Berlin was about to start uh, on its serial uh, run of championships of the East German uh, Oberliga. And Milke was investing a lot of time and energy in ensuring that Dynamo Berlin would reach the apex of football uh, in East Germany. Therefore, the loss that somebody like Eigendorf uh, was in fact a great setback uh, to Mikul's uh, aspirations. I would also add uh, that um, there was an intense rivalry uh, between Berlin and Dresden. And Dresden also belonged to the Dynamo Sports Association, produced one of the most attractive and successful teams uh, in the GDR, which, to a certain extent, annoyed Milke, because although Dresden uh, belonged uh, to the Dynamo Sports Association, it wasn't East Berlin, it wasn't Berlin. 
And this annoyed uh, uh, Milka, who was desperate for his, in inverted commas, own team to overtake Dresden as GDR champions. And he actually, he went into the dressing room of Dynamo Dresden and told the players, and now it's our turn to be champions. One has this notion of the GDR as a kind of monolith, a rather grey monolith, but below the surface there are these seething tensions between clubs, even within the, the same association, never mind those between clubs belonging to different parts of the GDR sporting empire. And then a huge, huge system of informers, and in particular one man you'll be able to tell us more about, Technic. Oh, yes. Yeah, Dr Manfred Hürtner uh, was, in a sense, the organisational, dare I say, genius uh, behind the doping programme. He's uh, ubiquitous. He's a member of the IOC Medical Commission, which is uh, of considerable interest. He... Uh, heads two work groups relating to the central uh, doping program. These are essentially uh, groups that have responsibility uh, for the organisation of the doping program. That is to say, what are the kind of projects, what are the research projects that should be funded? And secondly, how the drugs should be distributed via the various channels in the sports medicine service, of which he was uh, a leading member, how the drugs should be distributed via the coaches to the individual athletes. So Hörtner uh, is a very, very important figure in terms of the organisation of the uh, East German doping uh, programme, but he's also a Stasi spy. And he's the top Stasi spy. He's IMB Technik, which means he's a very highly prized uh, spy. And he's able to deliver to his Stasi controller at central uh, level very important information on which athletes are being doped, sometimes which athletes are taking excessive dosages, uh, that is to say, uh, wild doping. He's also able to tell his Stasi uh, controller of many of the tensions within the doping system. He's also able to tell his Stasi controller of the bitter rivalries uh, at various levels of the doping programme, as, for example amongst the scientists themselves, where there is very fierce competition uh, for project leadership, for positions within the doping programme, for bonuses, for their reputation. And this is something which which I actually find quite fascinating about the East German doping programme. It's not such a smoothly run operation, it's praying, in fact, to human ambition uh, as well, and corruption. And that's nothing peculiar uh, to sport, but it is very interesting at this stage that we're able to show this, whereas certainly before 1990, we were unaware of many of these uh, issues. We're certainly aware of doping before 1990 because of defection of athletes and indeed of top-level scientists who were involved in the doping programme. But the actual scale of the 
programme, that the tensions within it, we, we, didn't, we were not so sensitive towards this. You've been listening to a podcast from the series Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, a project bringing together experts from around the world and hosted here on the Wilson Centre's online digital archive at digitalarchive.org. These podcasts are part of the project The Global History of Sport in the Cold War, which is sponsored by the National Endowment of the Humanities, directed by Professor Bob Edelman of UC San Diego, Professor Chris Young from the University of Cambridge, and Dr Christian Osterman of the Woodrow Wilson Centre, and run in collaboration with the German Historical Institute Moscow, the Jordan Centre for Advanced Russian Studies at New York University, and Pembroke College, University of Cambridge. The presenter is Vince Hunt and the series is produced by Vince Hunt and Laura Deal.